Okay. What do you say? Let's play. Where's Waldo? <laughs> now, for those of you that don't know where's Waldo, what that is, uh, I'll just give you a little uh, quick uh, summary of that so that you uh, uh, understand. Of course, many of you do. Um, it's originally on the other side of the Atlantic. It's Where's Wally? And the Brits uh, came up with this. Uh, but on, uh, on our side of the Atlantic, it's Where's Waldo? It's, in, uh, it's a British series of children's puzzle books created by the English illustrator Martin Hanford. Now, readers, what's the point? Readers are challenged to try to find where's Waldo in the midst of a lot of other people. Trying to find the one that looks distinct and stands out. And of course, that would be Waldo. Well, today, instead of Waldo, we're going to look at a particular and eminent reformer by the name of John Calvin. And your Where's Waldo experience is to tell me which one of these four guys is Waldo, <laughs> or is Calvin in this case. Now, you see you got, you got somebody here, 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 and here. Okay, now don't, don't, don't say it out loud, uh, but just think. I'm going to point at each one, and you think, tell me which one you think. Uh, this guy, this guy, this guy, or this guy? All right, I, I see somebody in the back holding up that. Uh, I see several of those. Yes, there's Waldo, or there's John Calvin. Uh, by the way, just for the, F, F, the FYI, a little... Uh, this guy, anybody know who he is? His name is Pharrell, or Pharrell. Uh, he's the guy that got Calvin to come to Geneva and stay there. This guy is a guy that studied under Calvin. His name is John Knox. If you know anything about Presbyterianism, you should know that name, John Knox. He brought the Reformation to Scotland. And this guy, this is Beza. This is Calvin's successor. So, now you know this is the wall of the reformers in Scotland, in, in, uh, not Scotland, in, uh, in uh, Switzerland, in Geneva. Uh, one of those, one of those uh, th bucket list things. Uh, so, all right. Now, that's the fun. We've, we've had Waldo fun, okay? What was the Protestant Reformation all about? Why do we take time? Why do we makes such a big deal about it in our Protestant and particularly our Presbyterian churches like ours? Well, essentially, it was a return or rediscovery, maybe would be a better way to, to say it, of a truth that was once known by the church many years ago, 
But these truths had been forgotten or glossed over. J.C. Ryle, a famous Anglican bishop, referred to the old paths. And that's what he was talking about. Stuff that was rediscovered in the time of the Reformation, of the Protestant Reformation in the 15th, uh, 16th century. It was a backwards motion, a backwards motion mission that led the reformers back to the scriptures and back to the rediscovery of the gospel that saved sinners by grace through faith in Christ and back to the purpose for which all things were created, and that is the glory of God. You heard this morning in those solas that we, that we uh, confess together and affirm together, the glory of God alone. And those fundamental truths in that time that were rediscovered are still reverberating down to our age. And I believe because they reflect so much of scriptural truth, they always will. But at times, the light gets brighter and at times it gets dimmer. I want to, for our scripture reading today, I picked out three past. By the way, if you hadn't figured this out, we're not in today on this Reformation. This is special. We're not in uh, Luke. <laughs> we'll pick that up next week. Uh, but for today, I just picked out three passages that I thought sort of kind of set the, set the table for this more... Um, um, way of looking at the Reformation. Uh, first of all, Jeremiah 6, 16, verse, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the last part, but the uh, 16a, but it's on the screen. Thus says the Lord, stand by the road and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That's what the reformers did. They walked in that path and they found rest for their souls, even if not always for their body. Um, the second passage there is found in James 1, through 25. That first one was Jeremiah 6, 16. Um, James 1, through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. And then finally, Matthew 13, 52. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. All right, let's pray. Father, help us as we reflect back on what you did and what needs to be done in our time. Oh, Father, 
give us the light of your spirit, encourage us in our faith and our faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, I don't have a three-point sermon. I know, I know you're terribly disappointed. Actually, it's just a one-point sermon. <laughs> it's just a one-point sermon today. Today, I want to answer the question posed by my title, Is It Time for a New Reformation? Is it time for a new reformation? And I'm going to try to answer that to the best of my ability. Now, the answer is somewhat complex, but we can get help from another one of those Latin words uh, that were used in that time a lot by the scholars. And those reformers, like these guys behind me, and others like Luther and, and uh, many others, Bullinger and people like that, um, uh, Erasmus, I mean, um, uh, Martin, Peter Martin, others of that nature. It was a phrase, Latin phrase, semper reformanda. Semper reformanda. Now, what does that mean? It means simply always reforming. Always reforming. You don't get to, okay, we're done. We're done with the reforming. No, no, always reforming because we forget. We lose things that we once had and understood. So when we think of the Reformation, we ought not to think of it, as many do, as a restoration. A lot of people think, oh, Reformation, it's, we need to restore and put back uh, a little small version of Reformation. We need to build us a little Geneva right up here. No. <laughs> no, heavens no. Not at all. It's not a restoration process. Progress. Our goal is not the restoration of the church in its form in any particular past age or time. Not even in the New Testament. Why? Because we can't go back there. And if we could, we would be, it would, it would not fit. We can learn from it. We can value it. But we can't come back there and do that work over again. We can't be exactly like the first century Christians. And any other century for that matter. Because we live in what century? This one. That's where God placed us and put us. That's where the work of reformation needs to be done. We don't want to replay the reformation either. A lot of people just love to you know, go back and watch the old John Wayne movies over and over and over again. That's a great thing. I love to do that. But it's not that. It's not, well, hey, let's go once again replay and see what, what Luther, well, I want to see him go before, before the uh, Diet of Wittenberg, uh, I mean, uh, of Gewurms, uh, go before them and say, my conscience is held. Yeah, that's great. I love that story. I, I can hear it many, many times. But that's not really bringing about new reformation. That's, that's just ap appreciating nostalgically looking back. But that's not what Reformation is really all about. 
You see, we don't replay the Reformation, but we do do in our time what they did, the Reformers, in their time. They took chances. They were willing to make sacrifices. They were willing to dig deeper and deeper into scriptures that had been corrupted and glossed over. You see, it does not aim, and this is particularly important, I think, in our time. So, to be always reforming, again, it's not restoration, and it certainly isn't revolution. Now, that's the watchword of our time in so many places, unfortunately. It should not be the goal um, of seeing a revolution. Today, we see all kind of revolutionary fervor. And really what it boils down to, it's deconstructive. It's designed to tear down, not to appreciate or to strengthen that which is and that is good, it wants to flatten and bring about. Have you ever thought of the, the, in some ways, what happened in America was not a true revolution in a certain sense? In one way you can say it is, but in, in another way, especially when you compare it to France and what happened 20 years later there, they are night and day difference. That revolution was a true revolution, and it destroyed. So, it do, it do, revolution usually involves violent upheaval. It is often doctrinaire, fanatical, loveless in its quest of what is new. How many of you have read Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities? Yeah. Great story about a real, true revolution and what happened and all the horrors. And so many people think, oh, if we can just get tear down and build it new, what folly. While aiming at what is better, Revolution is concerned about, about, excuse me, I'm sorry. While aiming at what is better, it is concerned about the continuity of historical development. Ref, uh, uh, ref, reformation, not revolution. Reformation is not innovation, but renewal. Reformation is not it is renewal. That's the goal of Reformation. It's not to destroy. It's not to tear down and level. It is to renew. Now, how do we do this? That's the, that's the real fundamental question. What does that mean in our time, in our circumstance, where we find ourselves? How do we achieve an ongoing Reformation in our time? How do we take the task of being the church that is always 
reforming, that semper reformanda that we talked about, always renewing. It should be. It shouldn't be just saying, okay, we got it. We, we worked on it hard, and right here, here's the perfect. Let's stay right here. Don't do anything else. Not that at all. How do we keep the Reformation going in our time? First, we must always be willing to bring our most cherished convictions, beliefs, and practices back to the Scriptures for further clarification. We have a, many wonderful Christian books, many wonderful Christian creeds, many wonderful Christian confessions that are solid and biblically good in, in the main. But we never can put them on the plane with Scripture. And Scripture must interpret Scripture. Scripture has the final word. And it's real easy sometimes for us to get enamored with that which came, was exegeted from the word, but not back to the word itself. That's the only corrective. That's what we need. We must be willing to see if indeed we are being reformed according to Scripture. Sometimes traditional preferences... Remember, we've talked a lot about through the years about preferences. Preferences are not necessarily bad at all. Everybody has them. They're like noses. Everybody's got a preference. I got preference, which let's take example in music. I bet if I had 25 of you and ask you, you know, what, what hymns do you want to sing? You know, we'd, have all, we'd be all over the place. We have different preferences. And those aren't bad necessarily, or, or, and they can be indifferent. But... Preferences can sometimes get into the place of almost canon or law. They can get into the place where, where they're, they're absolute. And instead of saying, that's just my preference, and you know, it's, it, but no, we, we, this is the way it's got to be. It's got to be done this way. Often, traditional preferences masquerade as biblical truth. As thus saith the Lord. As scripture, with as much authority and as much desire, it can come in old forms, it can come in new forms. We need to be careful that we're not putting preferences in the place of scripture. And you think that is, is easy to not to do? It's hard. Because we, we get to love the things that we love and cherish them and value them. And that was one of the problems of the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus was constantly trying to get them to see. They, they, they quote, loved the scriptures. But they ultimately got to the point where they loved their interpretation and their glosses in the scriptures more than the scriptures themselves. They no longer, they got pushed aside have to keep coming back to Scripture. Secondly, we must realize, if we're going to have a reformation in our time, we must realize that the world doesn't need a new message. Some people just love everything new. Think, oh, it's about what's, what's new. No, it, the, we need one that is fresh in its delivery. Not a new message, 
but sometimes we need to deliver it in a context that makes better sense or makes things clearer of what the point of Scripture that is being made and said. You see, the message never changes. It should never change when it comes from Scripture. But sometimes the medium does. At a given point in time, at a given set of circumstances, in the eight, eight, so let's just go back two, two centuries. You know, there's a lot of things different that we do now that they didn't do. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. But hopefully, through it all, the scriptures have not been changed, but there has been ways in which we have got the word of God out more clear and more uh, convincingly and apologetics and things like that. It's the new wine principle. The message never changes, but sometimes the median does. And again, remember what Jesus said, you know, don't put old wine and, and the new wineskins. You can't, can't hold that. Um, I'll tell you one little, to me, it was uh, fascinating when I, uh, uh, years ago, where did that come from? <laughs> um, dry cleaner, <laughs> I guess. Um, but uh, there was, there is a particular uh, um, reformer by the name of Bullinger. I don't know if you, Heinrich Bullinger, some of you may, he had a, he had a role in the, in the um, Helvetic uh, Confessions of, of Germany in that time, uh, and also in Switzerland. And he uh, played a pretty big role. Matter of fact, he was probably had one of the, uh, he pro probably wrote more books about the Reformation than anybody else, including Luther and Calvin. Uh, so Bullinger was a was a was a, a really powerful and influential uh, reformer, and here's the case of what Bullinger did, uh, and I'm going to read to you. This is uh, from uh, I picked up this. I, I had it in my head, but I thought, okay, do it. Find the place and do it word for word. Um, he, like the English reformers, such as John Fox. That's in England. That was the reformers in England. Bullinger believed that the gospel could be preached profanus. That's another Latin word, profanus, which means outside the temple. In other words, outside of the church building. That there is ministry that's done within, but there's also can be ministry of outreach outside the church. In other words, go to where they are. Street corner preaching is an example of that. But that was a fairly new innovation, a thought of breaking out not only in the church, but go, taking the church out to where the people were in the circumstances of, of the city or whatever. Uh, for instance, it's in the form of drama was used by Bullinger in the 16th century. So from his early 20s on, from the, uh, Bullinger 
Amidst his vast theological writings composed several stage plays which reached national and international renown. You've got a budding Shakespeare uh, on, on, his, on our, our hands, basically. Uh, you've heard the William Tell Overture? That story probably built off of and owing great credit to Bullinger. The kind of plays and stuff that he did. Because what he was trying to do. He was not trying to replace what goes on in the temple, in the, in the church. But he was saying, let's get the folks out of the salt shaker. Let's get out there and find other ways to bring the gospel. He wanted to bring the gospel to more and more. So he took it out to them. Missionary work. So, third we're going to have a reformation we must be willing to embrace the use of neutral technologies in our day as the reformers did in theirs now in their day what was the what was the the big technology that was so earth-shattering and 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 earth-moving the printing press of course the gutenberg press in our day <laughs> tech is king technology like the internet, social media, and other things. Now, I've said this before. When you think about cyberspace, is it a land of peril or a land of promise? Yes. <laughs> That's the right answer. Yes. It's both and. There's some horrible, ugly, nasty, vile stuff that are available on those platforms and others. And we need to try to find ways to guard ourselves as best we can from that. But just as our reformers knew there was some vile, nasty stuff that was going on, they still needed to get their stuff out in the printing press in order to launch reformation in their time. It's a both and. We need to use wisely and have wisdom, but we need to not set, lay aside that which... Do, do you know right now there are probably more people in terms of a, of a missional impact in the 1040 window? There are, there are what is going on in some of the missions that we support right here in this church. Ministries where it be a, through satellite or being going through uh, in, in places, there is now stuff Recently, I, we were at uh, Presbytery with Richard Pratt, and he was talking about that what this little chip that now can be taken when they're trying to shut things down in China, when they're trying to get control, there's no way now. It's, it's just exploding. This stuff is going, and it's so small, so hard, hard to detect. It's, it's being just, just assimilated uh, uh, all over parts of China that have not ever been reached with the gospel and they can't they can't control it all they can't shut it all down they can shut down some of it but the kinds of technologies we don't want to miss out on those opportunities to reach more for Christ Muslims sitting there listening to the gospel we can never get over there but we can do it through technology again it's a two, it's a two 
two-headed uh, situation? But the answer is yes. Fourth, we must be willing to live for something bigger than ourselves and the things that we can see. We've got to believe in things that God is doing and will do that are greater and bigger than anything we can imagine. We have a big problem in this church. But it's not money. Now, do we need, do we need money to, to run the ministries of this church? Absolutely. But I was talking with some brothers the other night, and one of them said, you know, our, our, our biggest problem is we don't have enough vision. We're, 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 not, we're not being bold enough. We don't, we don't, we don't yet understand what we're being called to. We don't have enough vision. So you see, when we live for something that is bigger than ourselves, things that we can see, the reformed lived and many of them died for things bigger than themselves. And they carried the future with them. And we're the legacy. We're here today because of that. Are we going to do that for the next generation and the next generation and the next century and the next century or the next millennium if Christ tarries? The reformers were often accused of being, this was, this was a, a, a prerogative, I mean, a uh, um, derogative. This is a derogatory statement. But this is what they were often accused of being, innovators of things ancient. Now, they weren't worshipers of things ancient, but they were innovators of how to get back to the old, as Ryle said, to the old paths, to get back and find how to do in their time what needs to be done based off of and what they drew from the old paths, from the fathers. Well, Calvin, uh, on one occasion, took on a Roman Catholic uh, champion uh, at, the t uh, at that time named Saldoletto over the question of who's more Catholic. You do know the word Catholic just means universal, right? It's really not, not in its simplest root form. It's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. It's just Catholic simply means universal, meaning it pulls all of Christendom, all of, all of Christianity together. And Calvin said this. He said, the point of reform is to be more Catholic than Rome. In other words, something about the universal appreciation of the whole body of Christ, not just sections of it or whatever, the whole body of Christ, all true Christians is what he's saying. To, the point of reform is to be more Catholic than Rome will permit by being, here's how, by being more patristic, valuing the early church fathers, patrist, patristic fathers, that's early church fathers, the ones that were closest to the time of Jesus in those early centuries. Here's how you can be more Catholic than Rome, by being more patristic, 
than Rome will permit and by being more biblical than Rome will permit. In other words, go back to the scriptures. Go back to the, appreciate the church fathers and go back to the scriptures. And basically he was essentially saying, I'm more Catholic than you guys are in this sense. Now, you see, we shouldn't look at the church, at church history, as if God had started playing the ball game in the fourth quarter. Uh, Michael's team uh, uh, wasn't looking too good until the fourth quarter, and they, they, but they got everything going. Ohio State, yeah. Uh, we'll see you, I hope. <laughs> uh, but you see, a lot of people think, you know, it all, it, it, all, it all started only in the 15th century. No. God has been bringing revival and renewal and works of grace and making the gospel available. Not as clearly as it, as it came to be in the Reformation, but it was there. And it was there earlier on. There's been perversion of it. But, you see, the Reformation wasn't just... We tend to look at it as only the, the fourth quarter. The Reformation was and is and ought to continue to be Catholic in that best sense of the word. Simply universal with a little c. Not a big one. Little c. Catholic. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're followers of Christ. We are the people of God. We sing that in our creeds. We sing that uh, in we be, we believe in what the communion of the saints. That's Catholicity. That's what that is. Michael Horton, professor of Westminster West Seminary, uh, is the host of of a um, podcast and a radio program called the White Horse Inn. It refers to a, a, a Reformation hangout. Of the uh, for the Ref English Reformation uh, in England and in the, in the times uh, during for uh, Henry VIII was uh, king of England um, and that was one of their hangouts. But he says this: unfortunately, the supposed spiritual heirs of the Protestant Reformation, when answering survey questions, he's talking about those that. Today, you put a mic, hot mic in front of them like a man on the street or whatever. He said that a lot of people today, that though they are heirs of the Protestant Reformation, when it comes to asking them, okay, what is the gospel? You know, what, what is substitutionary atonement? They don't have a clue. This is what, this is what Horton said. He says, Folks, we are very interested in the Reformation, not because it's a thing that happened in the past, but because we're in the same stew. We're in the same reality that the Reforming fathers and mothers were. We're in the same reality because we need to do in our time the same thing that they did. We're not just nostalgically looking back. He says, we're not slavishly devoted to the 16th century Reformation. They make, made mistakes just as we will. 
That's true. They made mistakes. We will too in trying to reform. But we do believe that it was the single greatest recovery of apostolic Christianity since the death of the apostles themselves. And by God's grace, they returned to God's word to the stage in all of its authority, conviction, grace, and redemption, bringing the long-awaited renewal to the body of Christ that so many had sought through more superficial avenues. And we're right at that place now where everybody's seeking renewal and revival through all the avenues that were pursued before the Reformation, before they got to the doctrinal and theological heart of the crisis. So what he's saying is we've got to get back, back to basics, back to the Scriptures. We've got to do in our time what they did. So I ask you today, brothers and sisters, is it time for reformation? Yes, now and always. Now and always. May God help it to come. Let's pray. Father, we look back on this time and the, and the, and the great uh, spiritual work and renewal and the reformation that you did. But Father, you haven't left us or given us uh, a task that's already finished and all we got to do is look back whimsically and nostalgically and say, wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been a cool time? Father, help us to, to realize that we are called to reformation now and always. And so Father, we know that is not an easy work. and We know that it will demand of us great things. Father, a commitment to stay true to the scriptures. You know how, how easily heresy breaks in and, and, and divides. And Father, divides your churches. Lord, so much evidence of that. And we pray, O oh God, for renewal and for revival and for reformation in our time. O oh Lord, be gracious unto us and show us, help us to know the old paths and yet also be able to apply them and, and be able to bring the truth to bear in our changing society. And Father, I pray now that you would give us this grace and help us. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I